Hi there! Welcome to Witch Witch's Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Derek. And I'm Regina. And today we're going to talk about witches that attend witch schools, but those schools aren't exactly Hogwarts. They are close, I guess? They, they have similarities to Hogwarts. In so much that they are academies for witches. Well, mine has uh, house sorting. Oh, yay. So... Mine has roommate sorting. They're they're not houses. They're just just roommates. just roomies, dorms. It's like a dormitory, and you get assigned to like a trio of students together, and they're very clicky. Oh, because of course they are. They're they're it's like a high school. Oh, my yeah, mine's a little bit more higher education, mm. but um, also kind of like a boarding school. I don't know. We'll get into it. But first, yeah. I want to hear about I want to hear about your witch school and the witches who attend. Tell me about. What you have today, Derek. So I specifically would like to tell you about Atsuko Kagari from the Japanese animated series Little Witch Academia. Atsuko, or Akko to her friends, is the newest student at Luna Nova, the prestigious school for young witches. Akko is the only student who comes from a non-magical family, so she's got a lot less practice than her classmates, and everyone expects her to flunk out of school. But she dreams of being just like Shiny Chariot, the pop idol-style witch that Akko saw do a stage show when she was younger. Akko is optimistic and impulsive, which tends to get her into a lot of trouble, but her pure intentions and faith in the goodness of magic allow her to use Shiny Chariot's signature magical tool, the Shiny Rod. Wow, okay. So, Shiny Chariot is a... A pop culture witch icon in this world? Yeah, so Shiny Chariot seems to travel from town to town and do big, elaborate magic shows that involve fireworks and metamorphosis and flying and shooting magical arrows and all that great stuff, basically to inspire the villagers and show them how wonderful magic can be. Nice. And Akko is Muggleborn, only not referred to as Muggleborn because it's not actually it's not actually yeah, Harry it's, Potter. It's not a J.K. Rowling thing. Okay, sounds good. I know that you only have the best intentions, but we just can't always be going along with you on a whim, okay? It's just I want everyone to see how wonderful magic is. I'm gonna do everything that I can, whatever it takes. Just you watch. I need to know more about Akko. Tell me, does she identify as female? The first rule of witchiness. Yeah, so Akko, like all the students and faculty at Luna Nova, is female. The show never really explains whether magic is a strictly feminine thing, but the only men we ever see are non-magical. Thankfully, since this is an anime about grade school-aged girls, there is also none of the fan service that tends to be so prevalent in Japanese cartoons about schoolgirls. <laughs> While these school uniforms include above-the-knee skirts and Akko tends to fall down a lot, I didn't notice a single upskirt or panty shot, which, thank Glob, because I think I might have had to stop watching it. It has its place in some anime, but this is not that. And I'm glad. This seems pretty wholesome. Is that? Would you say that that's true? It is, which was a surprise to me because it's the it's the latest series from Trigger, which is a relatively new anime studio. They first landed on the scene with their debut series, Kill La Kill, which was the opposite. Okay. Of this. I, I think my my witches are going to land in the opposite camp too. That's but it's fine. Nice. Let's balance it all out. That's nice to know that it is pretty wholesome. It's a fairly wholesome show about young girls learning to use magic. Oh, so speaking of magic, tell me tell me about the second rule of witchiness. 
Does Akko practice magic, and if so, how? Yeah, Akko is definitely the least practiced magic user at Luna Nova, but she absolutely demonstrates some magical ability. Across the first few episodes of the series, she uses magic to help some butterfly cocoons hatch, transform herself into various animals, raise the dead, all with varying degrees of success. Well, I feel like resurrection magic... Pretty advanced, usually? No? Yeah, it kind of seems like when she does successfully pull off a magic spell, it seems like it's by accident, or that she has tapped into some part of her subconscious, because when she actively tries to cast magic, it never works. Got it. So she crit her resurrection roll, but the other ones, not so much. Yeah, and hilarity ensues, of course. It's a very funny show. Okay. So, like, the, the raising the dead thing isn't like, oh, no, zombie's going to eat our brains. It's more like, oh, hey, this delightful skeleton is now here, and we're going to go on a wacky adventure with it. Oh, I love a good, delightful animated skeleton. Yeah. So, moving on to the third law of witchiness, does Akko practice feminism, and if so, how? So, if I may borrow a phrase from the TV series community, and he's pretty young, we try not to sexualize her. The girls of Luna Nova are thankfully presented as fairly normal girls, unlike, as I mentioned before, Kill la Kill, which has a lot more to say about femininity and body politics, but was a bit more challenging and adult-oriented. By virtue of having a cast that is, like, 99% female, the show is fairly feminist by default. The only male characters we ever really interact with are non-magical dudes in town who generally think that witchcraft is antiquated, unsophisticated, and worthy of ridicule. They're just jealous. They kind of are, it seems like. Uh, By virtue of having magic tied to just the female members of the cast, the struggle to prove that magic has a place in the world doubles as a strike against the patriarchy. Yay, magic! Uh, there's there's one point where the six sort of main girls in the show are uh-huh. trying to put on a parade in town to celebrate witchiness. Mm-hmm. It's an annual tradition. The Witch Pride Parade? Yeah, pretty much. Kind of like that. Okay. And in past years, part of the tradition was all of the villagers would throw tomatoes at the witches and dunk them in the water because, ha ha, that's what we do to witches. And so the girls are like, well, that's not fair. No, that sounds terrible. we We think magic's great and we don't know why you feel the need to ridicule it. So while they're trying to put on a very different type of parade that celebrates all the wonderful things that magic can do, the villagers are still like, yeah, but we're supposed to throw tomatoes at you, right? That's what we're going to do. And the witches are like, hey, no, we're, we're doing something different this year. But please, huh. please don't attack Does us. it work out for them? Do they? It does. They they wind up putting on a really excellent show and convince a fair portion of the villagers, like, hey, magic is pretty rad. What happened to us thinking magic was rad? Why did we stop doing that? Yeah, and also much better uses for tomatoes than as projectiles. I mean, you could make a sandwich. Yeah. A nice ragu, perhaps. In the in the mythology of this world, basically, once the industrial revolution happens, magic sort of falls out of favor because now we have technology and machines, and we can just make stuff. Mm. We don't need to rely on magic anymore. Once upon a time, magic had been this celebrated thing that we needed to like go about our daily lives, and so witches were part of society. Once they had figured out machinery and things like that, basically magic fell out of fashion sure but i'm gonna keep on this um tomato chucking theme i think and ask if akko demonstrates the fourth law of witchiness is she persecuted or misunderstood yeah akko is and from both sides kind of as a witch 
Akko is persecuted by the non-magical people of the world. Like I said, kids like to throw tomatoes at her and the adults point and laugh and make fun. On the other side, however, uh, the students of Luna Nova are just as bad looking down on Akko because she comes from a non-magic family. They see her as a second-class citizen, constantly laughing at her apparent ignorance of witchy customs and supposedly common witchy knowledge. It's like making fun of a foreign exchange student because they don't know what the Boston Tea Party was or why Arnold Schwarzenegger can be governor but not president. What seems like common knowledge to us is totally new to them, and Akko is very much a fish out of water. She's not dumb, and it's not her fault she wasn't raised with magic, so, you know, don't be a dick about it. Yeah! Sorry, I may have had some issues with the ways kids treated foreign exchange students when I was a kid. <laughs> I was like, hey, they're not dumb. This is like their third language. Give them a break. Yeah, seriously. Also, it's a lot more impressive to me, honestly, when you can be a transplant in a different culture. Yeah, that's amazing. It's a lot to co- it's a lot to overcome. I have a hard time visiting other states in well, the U.S. there you go. I don't understand how people can go around the world and, like, start a whole new life. That's amazing. I don't know how to transition to this. So we're just going to go right into it. The fifth law of witchiness <laughs> is that the witch in question is bonded to a sentience larger than herself. Is Akko bonded to a sentience? So... Asuka's relentless optimism and stubborn faith in the goodness of magic allows her to use the iconic shiny rod, and it also endears her to Professor Ursula, the mild-mannered astrology teacher who is secretly, spoiler alert, shiny chariot. What? Yeah, Akko has spent most of her life idolizing shiny chariot, and her whole life's mission has been to one day be just like her. And here she is under the secret tutelage of her hero. Ursula may not be a god or deity in the traditional sense, but she might as well be as far as Akko is concerned. So they definitely have a bond, and in Akko's eyes, she is a sentience much greater than herself. Aw, that's adorable. I really like that. Shiny chariot and her shiny rod. Yeah, once again, it's completely wholesome. Don't try to look any further into that. I feel like that's I feel like that's a good transition though. Yeah, let's talk about some shiny rods. Let's <laughs> flip it around. <laughs> Regina, why don't you tell me about your obviously less wholesome witch and the school that they go to? Yeah, so I'm going to talk to you about Phaedra, the main character in the series Kushal's Legacy by Jacqueline Carey. So Phaedra is the daughter of a sex worker. She is illegitimate. She is sold by her mother to Sirius House in the Night Court. So the Night Court, or the Court of Night Blooming Flowers, is a series of what's essentially 13 themed whorehouses that cater to the wealthy in the country of Terdange. Each house has its specialty, and the adepts are sorted into the house whose canon suits them best. So Sirius House is the canon of fragility, and their motto is all loveliness fades. Eglantine House, holla at me, Eglantine House adepts, is the house canon of creativity, and their motto is to create is to live. Valerian House is the canon of submission, and their motto is I yield, so on and so forth. Wow, that's a harsh motto. Yeah, things are gonna get a little, things are gonna get a little dark and heavy 
in this one. Nothing could make Hogwarts house sorting better than making it sexy Hogwarts house sorting. I feel like I've seen that on the Lower East Side somewhere. Yeah, probably. Is there a sorting hat? No, but there probably should be a sexy sorting hat. Maybe like a sorting fascinator or a sorting veil. I don't know, oh, but there should be something. Uh, anyway, so the larger plot involves a complicated Game of Thrones before it was cool and Phaedra doing political intrigue and espionage using her gifts as an adept of the night court, read sacred prostitute, and some skills that she learns from her tutor, mentor, and erstwhile savior, Delaney. So Phaedra is special in that she's an anguisette chosen by the god Kushal to feel pain as pleasure and marked with a red moat in her eye. So this is an epic fantasy female-led BDSM romance, and do yourself a favor and read it. It's great. Yeah, we've definitely shifted gears a little bit. A little that's, bit. That's great. <laughs> a little bit. Very different from Little Witch Academia, but still there are houses places you can go to learn magical things. Mm -hmm. Those magical things just happen to happen in your pants. Yeah, both of these things can exist side by side. I didn't mean that to follow the comment about pants. Now that <laughs> is putting some questionable images in my mind. So let's move on and tell me, does Phaedra identify as female? Totally. She embraces her femaleness and what's refreshing about the way sexuality and gender is portrayed in Kushal's legacy is that there isn't an overwhelming emphasis on heteronormativity. So everyone in the story is treated as a bi, at least. Phaedra has a deep love for Jocelyn, who is her fantasy martial arts master slash celibate bodyguard until that one time in a cave. Also, he's a priest and definitely 100% a hunk of a man. Yeah. She is also completely in love slash hate with Melisande Sharazai, one of Kushal's scions and arguably the most Slytherin lady ever to not have been admitted to Hogwarts. The Slytherin ladies are definitely the subject of a lot of love hate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But gender is treated pretty interestingly and progressively in this book. And Phaedra, definitely female. Wonderful. That sounds great. So yeah, can you tell me a little bit about how Phaedra practices magic? So this is debatable and it's a little bit of a stretch, but come with me on a magical journey because I'm going to say yes, she does. She does because she has this divinely bestowed gift to feel pain as pleasure. She has ex-gene-like healing factor, an ability to communicate with gods, and always seems to crit her charisma roles. Now, I know, that seems a little mm, debatable, but let me go back to this healing factor that she has. At one point in the book, she is literally skinned alive, Ooh. and she lives to tell the tale wow. later on. That's pretty intense. Yeah, she didn't like it, though. I mentioned that she feels pain as pleasure. In this case, it was... That was a little too much. Yeah, I was going to ask if that's like really pushing the limits of her power or if that was just complete ecstasy. So, no, okay. no. Being that, skinned alive that, like, still hurts. Being skinned alive still hurts. Still terrible. Okay. So we sort of we sort of hit that uncanny valley of pain as pleasure. Yeah, like, Nope, exactly. never mind. Nope, never mind. Never mind. Actually, pain is still pain. <laughs> it's nice to it's know she's still terrible. Because you're starting to sound yeah. far too awesome beyond that. Right. 
So can you tell me a little bit, I mean, it definitely sounds like there's a lot of feminist concepts happening in these books. Can you tell me a little bit about how Phaedra practices feminism, if at all? Yeah, so there's so much feminism, as you say. And I already mentioned the highly progressive view of sexuality and the fact that this is a story where the heroine is the illegitimate child of a whore who is herself a whore, but not just any whore, a magical BDSM whore. Women in this world hold positions of power and influence and that power is vast. The book ends with the rightful queen being installed in the monarchy. The only place where the series gets tripped up a little is in the race department. The citizens of Terdange are super xenophobic and elitist and probably pretty racist too. The way Phaedra looks down on other women or people in general from other countries is kind of messed up. Bad Phaedra. But other than that, Phaedra is a really fantastic feminist character because she uses her gifts, which are traditionally maligned female qualities like a healthy sexuality, a tendency to be more in a submissive role, etc., etc., and manages not only to survive in this crazy fantasy world, but thrive, stop a war, and rise to considerable power herself. That's that's amazing. That's yeah. fantastic. I celebrate her success. Yeah, she, she does a great job. This is the one that I'm most curious about based on what you've told me about Phaedra so far. Can you tell me if and how Phaedra comes from a place of misunderstanding or persecution? So there are several points in this story where Phaedra is misunderstood and in particular underestimated. So she gets sold into slavery in a country outside of her own and uses her wits to escape. She's chased and captured and spoilers, as I mentioned, is skinned alive. So healing factor. Thank goodness for that. She's also gravely misunderstood and underestimated by her foil, Melisande, who believes that since Phaedra is basically the ultimate submissive, that she's also weak. Not so, Melisande. Yeah, I would imagine that somebody who is capable of being quote-unquote submissive so much would have a a rather great deal of strength to be able to withstand all of that and Mm -hmm. make it through the other side. Mm -hmm. I know Mm -hmm. the outward appearance is weakness, but... There's got to be something that allows her to make it through all that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, her best friend, Hyacinth, he comes from a line of people called the Singano. And his mom is a fortune teller and makes a fortune for Phaedra that says that which yields is not always weak. And that becomes kind of her mantra as she moves through the story. Yeah, that's pretty great. Mm -hmm. I like that. I would definitely get that cross-stitched onto a throw pillow. (laughs) Anyway, can you tell me, is Phaedra bonded to a sentience larger than herself? Yes! Two sentences! She has a direct and intimate relationship with the god Kushal and the goddess Nama, and Nama is the goddess of sexy time. Hey! Throughout the book, she has experiences where the faces of these gods swim in her vision and she gets a sense of a message from them or something like that. And she gets divine protection and she, you know, prays to them and she gets these visions and everything. So definitely bonded, definitely to at least two sentences. I am trying to imagine what it would do to your life to be bonded to the god of sexy times. Well, the god, the goddess of sexy time yes. uh, is apparently awesome and very compassionate and generous. And the whole plot of the book and the whole witchy schools, they all revolve around this sexy time goddess. Each of the 13 houses has a legend as to why it was that Nama first did her sacred 
whoring, basically. And based on that legend, that's what they teach at that school. So for instance, in Orca's house, they say that Nama laid down with people to get money for Elwa, who's like the major deity in this system, that she laid down with strangers for a laugh. And so their whole house canon is based around being jovial and being like comedic, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. versus the adepts in the house of Eglantine say that Nama laid down for a song. So their whole thing is about creativity and creation and making stuff. So, yeah. So that's so that's where all of the the houses come from. They so they teach their particular thing, and then, yeah, then you get thirteen sexy Hogwarts houses out of that. Fantastic. So now that we've heard about both of our witches, let's talk about which one you would invite into your coven and why. Mm-hmm. So Regina, if you had to have either Akko or Phaedra in your coven. Which one would you choose and why? I guess it depends on where in the story I'm picking up Phaedra. Because in the beginning of her story, she is kind of a dick a little bit. She goes through a really impressive character arc and matures quite a bit at the end of her story. So if the choices are picking up Phaedra at the end of her story or picking up Akko at the end of her story, I'd probably go with Phaedra. But if the choices are picking up Phaedra at the beginning of the story, which is what I started talking about, I would probably definitely say Akko because Phaedra has a lot of maturing to do before I think I would want her in my coven. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. What about you, Derek? Well, I mean, like you said, the more I think about it now, the more I realize that Phaedra and Akko probably have a lot in common, personality-wise. You think? Content-wise, not so much. Sure, definitely. it seems like both of them sort of start out as troublemakers and work their way up to being generally good at what Mm -hmm. they're doing. That Mm -hmm. said, I'd probably stick with Akko just because while she's not great at magic initially she really wants to improve and she wants to like focus on the work she's just easily distracted Mm -hmm. because she's like a preteen and she's at that point where like she knows that boys are something to be sought after but she doesn't quite get it and so when she interacts with cute boys she's like ew why is this happening (laughs) so she really wants to get great at magic she just keeps coming up with like almost like get rich quick schemes in terms of getting better at magic that's awesome oh hey if i do this then and I'll, everyone in school will love me. Yay! And it's like, why don't you work on the, the basics first? At one point, she enrolls in a class that she thinks is the easiest class possible because it's just a lecture and the teacher never shows up. There's just a fish in a bowl and she's like, okay, well, I'm just sit here for two hours and this fish is there and then I leave. And her classmates tell her like, no, 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 that's the professor. You can't understand her. And she's like, oh no, what? And they're like, this is a really advanced class. You have to know how to speak fish uh, for the lecture. How to speak fish. Yeah. So she <laughs> makes that mistake. Incidentally, Phaedra can speak like 20 some languages. Mm-hmm. She's quite clever. Even at the beginning of her story, she's, she's quite clever. She can speak almost every language uh, in this world. And that's part of how she navigates this Game of Thrones that's happening in the background and eventually in the foreground of her story because 
languages. I don't know if she knows how to speak fish, though. That's one of the tricky things about different magic stories, I find, is like, there are the ones where every type of animal has their own language, and there are the ones where just animal is its own language, right. which I always found to be a bit of a cop-out. Like, yeah. the idea that bears can talk to fish and birds. I feel like there would have to be like, dialects, at least, right? Right? I feel like it's got to be, like, the difference between, like, Mandarin and... Cantonese? Yeah, like, Cantonese. There's a lot of dialects. There's a lot of differences. I feel like you can speak any language and still find someone to talk to at the Cauldron Cabaret. Almost certainly. With all the fantastic witches we've got at the Cauldron Cabaret, there's got to be somebody who speaks your specific tongue. I think so. So what do you think Phaedra would do at the Cauldron Cabaret? Okay, so I normally don't think about this until <laughs> until right when but we record, time, but I have been thinking oh. about this. I have been thinking about this. I think Phaedra would immediately be drawn to Maleficent mm -hmm. and would probably try to set up an assignation with her. I feel like there would be a little bit of a, if not a romance, at least a reciprocal understanding of there's going to be some hanky-panky happening with these two and it's going to be great. Everyone's going to have a great time. You know, Phaedra's going to get a lot out of it. Maleficent's going to get a lot out of it. I, I feel like there's going to be that kind of thing happening. Also with Phaedra in the cabaret, it kind of changes the tone when she's there, I think, because it is her livelihood, mm -hmm. her passion and her profession to have sexy time with people. And now that that's an option, mm -hmm. I feel like probably there's a handful of witches in there who are going to lay down some coin, have a good time with Phaedra. Think. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if you were talking about that kind of club or if this was going to become over more of a burlesque thing. But um, no, you're talking about explicit, yeah, like champagne room activity. Well, there is no sex in the champagne room. I don't know if you know. Thanks for picking up what I was putting down. Famously, there is no sex in the champagne room. Thank you, Chris Rock, for teaching us that. <laughs> no sex in the champagne. No sex in the champagne room. No sex in the champagne room. However, I do believe that there will be some after hours transactions being made. So Cauldron Cabaret after, after dark. dark, precisely. Now I'm amused by the idea of Cauldron Cabaret before dark. <laughs> well, I mean, before dark is the um, is the kid witches. We have lots yeah, of kid, the kid witches. Yeah, it's the kid witches. It's the it's the um, all ages portion mm -hmm. of the evening. Then it transitions to a little bit more cabaret, a little bit more burlesque. We've got some performing. We've got you know the drinks being flung out of the hell dimension, all that, yeah. and a little dancing, a little conversation, and then. There's the Cauldron Cabaret after dark, or maybe downstairs in the dungeon. Mm. Do we have a dungeon in this yeah, place let's call yet? It. Because I think we do now. At the very least, we have portals to limbo, thanks to Ilyana. Right. Yeah, so, so at least a portal to another room that's well equipped. 21 plus. You need to sign a contract before you go downstairs or into the portal. Things happen. We don't really talk about them. <laughs> they shall never be spoken of. Never. Never again. What happens in the Cauldron Dungeon stays in the Cauldron Dungeon. <laughs> What about Akko? Let's tell me about what she's doing in the cabaret at all ages hour. So similar to you, I don't really think about these things before we record, but yes. it occurred to me she has an act. 
it what? would work perfectly. Yeah, in one of the episodes of the show, um, the whole school is, pre- is preparing for the annual Samhain festival, and they each get assigned a specific task. And Akko and her friends are assigned to the the annual sacrifices because there is a uh, a sort of gloomy ghost, a sorrowful ghost that comes up every year and just is bawling its eyes out and so sad. And the only thing that makes it go away is eating three of the students. But they're like, oh, don't worry, like, you'll survive because it's a ghost. You'll just be passed out through its bowels. And everyone's like, oh, gross, you're going to be part of ghost poop. That's a lot scarier than I thought it was going to be when you first started talking. Okay. Right, yeah. Yeah, keep going. Well, here's the thing. Uh, So Akko is like, well, I'm never going to get the adoration of my eventual fans that way. Sure. That's kind of lame. And so what I'm going to do is, well, this ghost is sad, right? Let's cheer it up. And so she decides to sort of recreate part of the shiny chariot show she saw when she was a kid, specifically the metamorphosis magic, because she loved it when shiny chariot would like turn into a horse and run around the whole crowd and then turn into a bird and fly over them. And that was super fun for her when she was a kid. So she really digs down for a few days and focuses on her metamorphosis magic to turn into various animals and then has this whole elaborate thing where like when the big gloomy ghost comes out, just starts turning into like a mouse and an elephant and a bird. And she's like, hey, chase me. We're having fun, right? And like runs circles around it and like does this whole show and like the kids love it. The ghost is still really sad. There's a story there. We get to it she eventually saves the day but the whole crowd the whole school all the judges are like wow she's like putting on a show this is great we've never seen this happen before usually the kid just gets eaten Mm -hmm. so hey this is pretty fun so i feel like she would recreate that metamorphosis show it would be like hey everyone look at me i'm a goofy elephant now Woo! that's awesome well that about wraps (laughs) things up for this episode of which which is which now that you've heard what we have to say what do you think who would you invite into your coven let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast. That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. Don't anger the Elder Gods. Subscribe to Witch Witches Witch on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever your pods may be cast. Until then, remember, voulez-vous mettre au saut? C'est